Welcome to Grow With Soul, a simple marketing podcast by me, Kate Ferris, a creative business and marketing coach living in the mountains in North Wales. Grow With Soul is for creatives who either have their own business or who dream of having their own business and who want to grow slowly, sustainably and soulfully in their work and in their life. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Hello and welcome to episode 12 and it's just me talking to you today. Since I started Grow With Soul 12 weeks ago, which by the way, how mental is that? I've had lots of little questions which don't quite make up a full episode on their own but that I really felt would be universally helpful for me to answer. So today is a Q&A episode answering all those little questions about marketing and working and everything in between. I haven't mentioned anybody's names, I've kept everyone anonymous just because that's easier, but all these questions came through Instagram at one stage or another. So, I hope you enjoy. Our very first question today is all about starting out. So this person asked, when you were first starting out, what should you be focusing on? And she very cleverly uh, caveated that with the fact that she already kind of had started on her why and had a pretty good grasp of that, had a pretty good grasp of who her audience was. And she had a website and an opt-in that she was really proud of. So it was really a question of like, what's next when you're starting out, when you've done all those kind of baseline foundational stuff, how can she then show up and what should she focus on, on creating meaning around what she does? So I thought that was a really good question because yes, I spend a lot of time on that really foundational early part of it. But when you've worked that out, then what do you do? So as she's kind of hinted there about how can she show up, It's really about being present with the people that you already have, whilst also finding new people. So to tackle the first one, keep being consistent with your content, keep showing up on social media, be in stories, do the odd live, be really open in your captions, send great emails and keep providing value, all in the knowledge that it will come back to you. So I get that it feels kind of like you're putting things out into the world and nothing's coming back. But I absolutely promise that it will. When you're working on a really content-based strategy, like blogging, podcasting, putting videos out, being on social media, it takes more time for things to come back to you, but it will come back. So I really do advise just to really enjoy this time because once you have lots of client work or lots of sales coming through, you won't get this unadulterated time to create. I remember when I very first got my first client and I was working with Jen at the time and she asked me how I felt and I was I kind of felt resentful <laughs> because I didn't have that freedom to just create anymore. So keep showing up and just be really present and talking about the things that are related to your why. So now that you know your why and you know your audience, really kind of dig into lots of different ideas, have a brainstorming session on all the different ways that you can communicate that, and then start to do it that way. So brainstorm all your blog post titles, brainstorm ideas for stories, anything that you can to 
keep consistently showing up with great value content. And so on the other side of the coin, while you're doing that and you're building a really great repository of content, it's good to start connecting and doing some outreach to try and get new people finding you. So this is the really kind of brave bit and this is definitely the thing that I wish I'd done earlier in my business and it's the thing that has always moved needles the most for me. So what I mean by this is to look at the people who are influential to your audience and look at ways that you can collaborate with them, get involved on their channels and things like that. So if there's a really great podcast, then pitch to be on it. If somebody is really influential to your person, maybe ask if you can have an interview with them on their on your blog. So always looking for these ways to connect with people who are influential to your audience and get onto their channels so that your people can find you where they're already hanging out and consuming content. So question number two, how did you start finding clients and how did you get your first client? And this is a question I've had a couple of times because yeah, it's especially when you're service-based and there's a higher price tag there, it's getting that first client feels really difficult. So To start off with, I'm not someone who does traditional kind of business development. So that's cold calling, cold emailing. Generally, I don't target specific people. I don't have like a list of leads that I go after because I don't want to do that. (laughs) And also, I'm no good at doing it. And because of those two things, it would just never happen. So that is not a way that I have decided to market my business. What I have done and did do right at the beginning is rather than go out and kind of hunt, I farmed. So I became a magnet rather than going out and trying to get people to come to me. So to be a magnet, you have to really demonstrate that you get these people and that you can give them what they need. And the way that I did that was through content. So it was just creating loads and loads of content a couple of times a week on the blog every day on Instagram and just being really visible but also being really really valuable so that I initially really built the trust with people who didn't already know me as a marketer I had to build that trust and build their expertise to get them to a point where they realized oh right this girl actually does I know what she's talking about. This makes sense to me. But what's also interesting is that my first clients weren't people who already knew me. They were people who had found me since I'd been talking about marketing on the blog. So that's kind of demonstrates that it works because it wasn't people who were already there and had then kind of seen what I'd done and then started working with me. It's people who had been looking for what I did and then therefore found me as a result of my content. So it does take more time doing it that way and it really does take a lot of self-control not to go into desperation mode and start giving things away for like a tenner, but that's the way that I did it. That's how I got my first client was because I was creating loads of content about slow marketing and that really resonated with her because she wanted to start doing things slowly because she had a lot of stuff going on in her life. So Another thing that everybody must do, whether you're service-based, whether you're product-based, whether you're not anything, 
is once you start getting paying customers, always, always find out where they found you in the first place. So when I have people inquire and they want to have a consultation call with me, that's one of the questions is where did you find out about Kate? Because what that means is when I can start to see where people are finding me, it shows me where I need to put my energy, where I need to put more of my marketing. So for example, it's almost always Instagram or I heard you on a podcast. So that's why those two things are really what I go after. But also I do put a lot of emphasis on the blog because then when I have conversations, they say, oh yes, I found you through Instagram, but then I came to the blog and then I got it. So it's it's never just a one thing that's going to work. It's always lots of different things working together. But once you start to have those conversations with your customers and start to gather data on where people are finding you, then that really shows you where to put your energy. Okay, question number three. How do I stay relevant and keep people interested in what I do? And I thought that was an interesting question because I think the use of the word relevant is quite interesting, but really focusing on keeping people interested in what you do. And I get that that can be tricky because you feel like you're repeating yourself a lot, that how much is there that I can possibly say on this thing that I do? So one tip is to really look at the brands that you're interested in consistently and the brands that your customers are interested in and really analyse what they're doing that keeps you coming back and you'll probably be surprised that it's not anything gee whiz or fancy but it will be consistent value and the odd inspiring advert or campaign or competition or whatever. So that's kind of how to do it and also to remember that not everybody is seeing everything that you put out into the world in fact the only person seeing everything that you put out into the world is you so in order to keep people interested in what you do you have to keep talking about it and remember that they don't see that every day like you do and actually by showing up consistently creating this great valuable content over and over and over that's keeping them interested because it's just keeping you in their mind first of all but on top of that it's about showing up with new interesting things whether that's a new product or whether it's an actual kind of new campaign on top of all your kind of blogging emails social media that's keeping people reminded of you on top of that it's having a few really interesting campaigns so an example of this is if we go really big a company that would do maybe three big budget adverts on the TV a year. And the one that comes to mind is here in the UK, the John Lewis adverts are always the ones that create a stir, whether it's at Christmas, whether it's with their brand relaunch advert, they always have a couple a year that gets people talking, gets people really excited about the brand again. So you can use that model, but just pare it down and have it not on TV but have a few campaigns so maybe you have like a big social push and you theme it with something to do with your brand and you kind of really go at it so an example for this with me is when I first launched Campfire my blogging for business course I had a real push about all things content around that time so all my blog content was about content I did a couple of live lectures about it I did stories which showed little how-tos and how I planned and behind the scenes and they've just kind of created this big 
buzz around content. So that's the sort of thing that you can start to do, which will keep people interested because what's going to keep people interested is things that are new, that are interesting, that they can get involved in. Okay, so next I have a couple of Instagram questions, which are quite quick, so I will whiz through these. So the first one was about Instagram content for service-based businesses. And she was sort of saying that I go for a personal brand kind of style, but what should I be doing? And the thing with Instagram content is the only thing that you should be doing on Instagram is what your people want to see. So if you come to my Instagram feed, there's no sort of laptop or big sheets of paper or any of that kind of traditional girl bossy servicey type image because that's not what my people want to see. What my people want to see is cosy corners and cute cottages and cups of tea and all that sort of thing because even though I'm selling a service and I'm not selling a cosy cottage in a way I am because I know that my people want to get to the point where they've got their own cosy cottage in the mountains where they can sit and sip tea in the windowsill reading a book that's the dream that I'm selling but also that is the thing that's going to catch their attention as they're scrolling because I know who my person is and I know that it's working because I know that a huge percentage of people who work with me find me via Instagram so it's not about using photos that literally describe and show what you do it's about using photos that's going to attract your person get their attention and keep them on your feed okay second instagram question do you think you should have a separate business and personal instagram so two parts to this one one it really depends what you mean by personal so for me i'm not somebody like if i didn't have a business i probably wouldn't be using social media I'm not somebody who likes to put my own stuff out there because I don't really have anything to say (laughs) so if I would never had an Instagram which would just be like selfies and here's my day out and that kind of thing if that's the sort of thing that you do want to do to share with families and friends then I would say then probably yes because that kind of very personal content isn't going to really help your business however having said that I always try and advocate to not give yourself more than one Instagram account because that immediately doubles your workload. And if you are starting a business one from scratch, getting those numbers up past really a thousand is so much hard work, so much heartache and if you've already got a couple of thousand or even a couple of hundred followers on your personal one, I would always try and transition the content slightly but again it really does depend on what you want that personal account to do and if you're not actually focused on growing it and it's just a place to share photos with family then actually it's probably not going to double your workload because you're not really focusing on growing that account so it's deciding why you want the personal how much work you're going to put into the personal and then deciding therefore if you want a different business account and linked to the Instagram questions is one more about photos generally, which was how can I even imagine starting when I completely lack photo skills, but I know the visuals are so important. So firstly, there are free stock sites 
like Unsplash, which have a whole load of stock photos. And I have used Unsplash for my campfire and smoke signals graphics because I couldn't take a photo of smoke or a campfire. So I used Unsplash for that. The second thing is there is a difference between good photos and likeable photos. I have a blog post about this, which I will link in the show notes, but you don't have to be the best photographer in the world to create photos that are going to do well on social media. So it's less about getting all the technicalities right and knowing I don't know about apertures, which I don't even know about. I'm more about creating images that connect with people, that use tropes that really get people engaged with that image. So linked to that, it's actually picking out what those tropes are and knowing what your people are drawn to and then finding a formula that works for you. If you look at some of the best Instagram feeds or the most popular Instagram feeds, you'll see that they take the same photo over and over again but they just do it slightly differently and and similarly if you look at my feed that's what I do there I have the same kind of five places that I take photos in my house and I take the same kind of nine props every time but I just replicate it over and over because I know it's successful and I know it's what people want to see and you do really get your eye in really quickly it's amazing if you do just practice it's really interesting just how fast you can get to know what makes a good photo. So really practice helps. But then lastly, imagery isn't everything. Yes, it really helps to have some good visuals, but if you are providing value to people through what you do, through blog content, through a podcast maybe, then you will draw people to you because they will need what you've got. So don't let I don't know how to take a photo, stop you from putting your value out into the world. If it's something that people want and need, they will gather towards it. So, how to use time wisely when business is slow and when it's fast? Now, I really like this question because this definitely happens. So, the question of how to use time wisely full stop isn't the full question because yeah you have to do things very differently when it's slow and very differently when it's fast so first of all it's really good to understand the rhythm of your business and I've got a free resource on this in my be the CEO workbook which you can get if you sign up to my mailing list but basically understanding the rhythm of the business is starting to know when your natural fast and slow periods are so that you can then plan your year accordingly because what then happens is that you start to notice well in Q2 every year it's slow so rather than having a freak out every Q2 every year I can start to plan in for that I can budget for it and I can make sure that the activities I'm doing in that period that I know is always slow is going to be really productive whereas if you have a really fast period, so generally Christmas if you're product-based, you can then know that, oh, I need to get extra help in or I need to make sure that I'm doing things in Q3 so that I'm not really up against the wall come Christmas. But in terms of some actual things to do to use your time wisely in these periods, so slow period is for me all about catching up. So whether that's little things like doing a whole load of blog content or replying to any emails that you didn't get to or social media comments, those kind of things. It's about maintenance. 
So little tweaks on the website that you've been meaning to do forever, refreshing your web copy, having a bit of an SEO audit. If you've got products going through your stock and kind of seeing if that's all all right, if you need to kind of have a reorganize, all those kind of things. It's a time to make new things. So maybe that's a new opt-in. Maybe it's batch creating a load of content. Maybe it's a new product altogether. It's time to do that kind of stuff. Batching as well, because it kind of tags onto that. So batch create content, batch take photos. And also, this is quite a revolutionary idea. Maybe you could have a break. Because <laughs> generally, if you're in a slow period, you may have come off the back of a fast period so if you know that these couple of weeks every year are always going to be slow, then have that as your time off and just have a break. <laughs> in your fast periods, you have to kind of strip a load of stuff out and make sure that you are making time to be present in your business and not just crazily firefighting a load of stuff. So get really clear on what your baseline tasks are. So the things that you have to do every day, every week to make sure that you're continually ticking along and just make sure that they are all planned in so what that does is it means you avoid things like oh I haven't posted on Instagram for two weeks because I've been too busy to even realize I hadn't done it make sure that you're kind of keeping on top of your to-dos and give yourself a really stripped down to-do list of only the things it's going to take to keep everybody happy that day and also keep you present because what you really want to avoid in a fast busy period is you're working so hard and so kind of close to everything that actually, yes, you're serving customers, but everybody else has completely forgotten you exist because you've not been present in your marketing. And then lastly, just keep really clear on your direction and know that there is, have a light at the end of the tunnel and know where you're heading to so that you are still directing yourself and your business to the goal that you want to achieve. Because when you're in that really fast period, you've got your nose right up against the laptop, it's really easy to go off course. So my next question is a practical one from somebody who said that she's desperate to leave her job but was worried about practical stuff like pensions and sick pay. So first of all, I'm not a financial advisor, I don't have a mortgage, I don't have anything like that so I can't really speak to it from a this is what you do kind of aspect. However, I do believe that worries like this, although they are very reasonable ones to have, they are also a very easy excuse not to do something. So it wasn't something I was hugely worried about when I went self-employed, just because I knew that there would be a way around it, because there are hundreds of thousands of self-employed people, and they all have homes to live in, and they all have savings accounts. So it's 100% possible. Like, I think... At some point, Richard Branson had to make the decision, am I going to go for this or am I going to worry about a pension? And he went for it. And now he doesn't need to even worry about a pension. So it's not something that should get in the way of what you want to do because it's so easy just to do a quick Google and then you find the answer. That's what I've done through all my financial trying to find stuff out. I've just Googled and I've asked people and I've found the answer. I do also think as well that it's difficult when you are currently employed to get your head around this money idea because when you are in a job, money is really finite. So you get the same amount every month 
and you have scheduled time every couple of years for a pay review and that kind of thing. So it feels like there's only so much money for you. But when you're self-employed, the only limits are the ones that you put on yourself. So I don't worry as much about money now as I did when I was employed because I know there are things I can do if I need to where I can make a little bit extra or if I need to top up a savings account that I can put a product on sale. So it's very difficult to have that mindset while you're currently employed. But I think in my experience, becoming self-employed really frees that stuff all up. So generally, I would say that you have to decide that what you want to do is more important and know that there will be a way for the finances to follow that. And what I don't want to do is be 80 years old and think, oh, well, I've got my workplace pension, but I didn't live the life I wanted to live. I'd much rather have saved for for my pension myself and known that I've lived the the life I want to live. That's a win-win to me. So basically, if you are in that situation and it feels really scary to leave because you don't have the inverted commas safety net of a salary, which I don't actually think is a safety net, but that's going to be a whole other episode. (laughs) Do your sums, work out what you need, what you can live on for a year, what you can live on for five, all those kind of things, what you need to be putting away and do your research. It's going to be really easy to find. There's so much help out there for self-employed people. It's really easy to find the information that you need and tick that off as one of the excuses that you're using not to do this because it really doesn't need to be. Okay, so I really love this question. It was, how do I narrow down my what? And, you know, I so often talk about the why that it might be easy to forget that the what of what you do, your actual product is, of course, really important. And just because a lot of people start with a thing that they like to do, it's easy for me to get into the talking about the why all the time. But I know that a lot of people have a why or a lot of people are in a situation where they just want to leave their job. But actually, the what of what to do really evades them. And that was my experience. I handed my notice in at my job with no idea what I was going to do but just that I had this kind of desire to help people with their marketing so yes the way that I would start to narrow down your what is to make a big list of all your skills and even the ones that don't feel relevant or feel like a skill and definitely get other people to contribute to that because it's difficult to know what your skills are and so what I mean is it's not just I can use InDesign I can knit it's I have a really good way of breaking down a problem I am really good at empathizing with people those kind of personable skills as well will be really important and also write down what you really aren't good at or that you really don't want to do so for me I'm really not good at kind of (laughs) not take direction but I like to kind of be the boss (laughs) and I'm also like to do the thinking and not much of the doing so when I first started out I was like oh just stick up some freelance like social media services and I didn't push them because I don't want to do either of those things I'm not very good at doing what other people tell me to do and I don't want to do the doing I want to do the thinking And so that was why I kind of cut out the idea of doing freelance services. And then actually when I thought about what I was good at, I'm good at explaining things in a really down-to-earth way. I'm really empathetic. I'm really good at breaking down a problem. And that all really led me to, 
oh, well, maybe I'm actually more of like a coach, a mentor, a consultant, and can help people do it themselves rather than doing it for them. So start with your skills and those kind of things. And then also think about what you have enjoyed the most and seen the most impact with in the work you've already done, whether that's in a job, whether it's a volunteer, whether it's something that you've done as a kind of side project. What is it that you really love to do? And again, if you're finding that difficult, what is is it that you really hate to do? And then let that inform what you love and then start to follow that down. Okay, so I got a lot of questions in various guises about how do you manage fear and self-doubt? So I want to kind of caveat this with I don't have self-doubt to the point that it cripples me that I can't go on and do things. If that is something that you are in and you feel absolutely that you can't take a foot another step because you doubt yourself so much, then really referring to Sass Petherick is what I would recommend. She is a self-doubt coach and she has a whole load of resources that can help you get through that kind of really debilitating self-doubt. However, having said that, of course, I'm not immune to feeling fear and self-doubt. It just doesn't hold me back to the extent that I'm completely paralysed, but I definitely have bouts of it. And particularly, it shows up for me around times that I'm doing something new or something that I've never that I've always really wanted to do, but never actually got to do. It comes up in launch periods and all those sort of really different change, messy times. So that's where it shows up for me. And it definitely comes in bouts rather than it being a kind of constant voice in my head. So what I'm going to do is kind of tell you what I do in those bouts and you can see whether there's a takeaway for you. So first thing is that what I'm trying to get really conscious of is allowing myself to feel the feelings and just sit in it for a couple of hours because if you try and shout it down, it's just going to last longer. So I try to let it run its course. But during that period, I don't try to work through it. Not at all because that only makes it worse. The work that I do in that period is awful and it just sends me down a spiral. So what I do is I really, while I'm feeling the feelings, I remove myself from the work. Generally, I'll go and have a bath or I'll read a magazine or I'll just curl up on the sofa, I might have a sleep. (laughs) But I remove myself from the work when I'm starting to feel it really strongly. So after I've allowed myself time to feel the feelings, I kind of then we'll draw a line in the sand and think, okay, how can I use this? And that's the point at which I get really analytical and be like, okay, so I felt the feelings. I think I kind of understand them. Where were they coming from? What was the cause? What was the symptoms? And how can I now turn this around and use it to my advantage? And so with that, the kind of obvious one with that is comparison. So how can I use these comparison feelings? How can I look at this person that I've been comparing myself to and how can I use that to benefit myself or my business? What can I learn from this? What can I take out of it? That's what I try to do. But also using others to help you get perspective. So I have a couple of close friends online who I know understand what I do and also who are not obliged to tell me everything's okay like family and boyfriends and husbands are so I will always reach out to them as well and kind of say oh I'm feeling like this about this and they can kind of really help to say 
well, why don't you do X, Y, Z? Or, well, why are you being so stupid? That's completely unreasonable and things like that. So that's what I would do. That's my kind of three steps is feeling the feelings, getting analytical about it and reaching out to others for perspective. So next question was, how do I filter out the noise and also not be a part of it myself? And that's so good because yes, the internet is a noisy place and particularly in a service-based business, there are 101 different people saying the same things that you're saying. So yeah, not wanting to add to just noise is a really good intention. So I actually have a blog post on this, which I'll have to put in the show notes, but it's about how to not be overwhelmed by all the advice out there. But that also has some other useful tips about filtering. Basically, just be really curatorial about what you're consuming. So look at who it's made for and make sure that you're only consuming content that's made for you. So for example, if you're listening to a podcast and then actually you dig into the about page and it's really aimed at people who are making six figures, then maybe don't consume that because it's not made for you and it's just going to be overwhelming and it's just going to be noise. And also have breaks from consuming. I think it's very easy for us to feel like we're doing work because we're listening to a podcast or we're researching something or we're reading a blog post and actually it's not. (laughs) So definitely make sure that you are limiting the time that you're consuming, uh, other people's content that is, and make sure that the time that you're spending actually doing work on your business is not outweighed by this time that you're spent consuming. So for me, I don't actually consume a lot of stuff at the moment and actually when I do listen to podcasts it's if I'm on a long drive or sometimes if I'm like cleaning or plug a podcast in so have it in times like that rather than it being like something that you're doing to do work and in terms of not being part of it yourself keep really close to your audience ask them what they want and give it to them that way you are being truly genuinely valuable and you're not just adding to the noise so for example with this podcast that's exactly what I've done I've kind of kept in communication with people on Instagram and the listeners and then I've physically asked in an Instagram story what people want to hear and now I'm answering those questions so hopefully you feel that this podcast isn't just adding to noise and it's actually being really useful and valuable to you. So do that kind of thing. And it doesn't have to be as obvious as putting a question in an Instagram story, although that is a really great way of doing it. It can be asking more generally about a struggle that they might be having or how you can add more value to their life, who they already find valuable and why, those kind of things to start to gain that kind of information. So another question, how do you plan your week when there are so many conflicting priorities and life? Yes, so this is, especially when you are not full time in your business, this is really tricky and I don't have any children and I know that comes with this whole host of other issues. But one thing that I really swear by is the three things. So just setting for yourself at the beginning of the week, the three things that need to happen to make that week a success. And they shouldn't, be your basic stuff so it shouldn't be post on Instagram or reply to emails although it depends how really busy you are sometimes that might be the best thing you can do to make that week a success but it should be things that are really moving you forward so it might be set up 
my new opt-in or it might be to complete an exercise that you've found or it might be to batch take some photos whatever those things are just set yourself three and then if you do them first thing on a Monday morning amazing the week's already a success but don't try and overload yourself when you actually look at all the stuff you have to do how much of it is really important so just really refine it and also be okay with flexibility like I think one of the reasons that I've always found it difficult to stick to a planner is because when everything goes out the window (laughs) on the second day you just think oh the rest of it's gone it's all ruined I'm just gonna collapse in a heap and just muddle through because actually you've got to be okay with being flexible and that's why I fill in my planner with pencil because it means that yes when on a Tuesday I have to move everything around because somebody's cancelled or I've got a new appointment or something it means I can just rub it out and I can move the stuff that I now can't do in a time period to another time period and that's absolutely okay the most important thing is that it gets done rather than when it gets done so don't stick too rigidly to your plan so I've had a question about how to deal with the pressure of being original with your work and what I'm going to say is that originality is completely overrated (laughs) I don't think that I am original I certainly don't set out to be original because that's too much like hard work and it's also unnecessary so while you're not posting or you're not creating because you're waiting for that inspiration to strike and that really original idea you're not being visible, you're not providing value. And value doesn't have to be original. I mean, when you look at the stuff that I create, you could get that anywhere in a different form, but it's just that I'm putting it out there with my own slant on it. It's not original, but it's still valuable. So if you want to be the world's best conceptual artist, then perhaps originality is important. But if the content that you're creating isn't the substance of your work, you're creating content in order to attract people to your work, then that content does not have to be original. It just has to be valuable enough to attract people's attention and to hold it. So this is what I'm going to say is don't reinvent the wheel every time you're trying to create something. Find the thing that works for you and for your people and keep going with it. As I said earlier, Look at the big Instagrams, they're all taking the same photo over and over again because they found something that works and they're keeping going with it. Same with your blog content. When you find the thing that people are really hooking onto and engaging with, explore it in lots of different ways, use lots of different examples, but find the thing that works and keep going with it. Don't worry about being original in the content that you're producing to promote your work. And another question quite a broad question is how to stay motivated (laughs) Uh, but especially in your day-to-day life your day-to-day work so first of all accept that motivation ebbs and flows you don't have to be at this constant high level of motivation the whole time because then you would just be a robot and not human so Don't feel like just because you're demotivated for a couple of weeks that you're a complete failure. You're actually just a normal human being and to embrace that and that is absolutely fine. And also know that it will then therefore come back. I think we get into this really demotivated slump and we think that's it, that we've lost it. But it will come back again. That's absolutely fine. It will come back. So 
when you are in one of those slumps and you are struggling to stay motivated though so keep flexible as I kind of said earlier don't think that I'm gonna finish this blog post come hell or high water just be flexible with it be like you know what I really can't write today so I'm not I'm gonna put it over to Friday and I'm gonna do something else you can't force yourself to do something if you're not feeling it because you're not going to create great work So that's something that I do. Even if it's usually the day that I have to post a blog post, I won't do it because if I'm not feeling it, because I know it's not going to be great. So what's the point of me putting it out and disappointing people? If your slump is longer than that day, keep talking to your people. Just you've got to keep talking. You've got to keep connected because what that will do is A, stimulate ideas as you're talking to them, as you're gaining insight as you're asking questions you're going to be getting ideas and also it just keeps you pepped up and keeps you reminds you that what you do is valuable and what you do is good so keep talking to people and also really hold on to that purpose and direction so keep an eye on that big dream remember why you're doing this why you're putting yourself through it hold on to that purpose hold on to what the difference that you want to make in the world where you're going where that end dream is and just kind of keep focused on that so you can let that sort of motivate you to carry on if not motivate you to create the very best thing that you've ever created okay so our very last question is well so we started with where do we focus when we're first starting out and we're going to end with where do we focus to take our business to the next stage So to start off with, we've got to define what is the next stage. And that will be different depending on where you are in your business. So it might be that perhaps you're thinking, how can I up-level my income? How do I get to a point where I'm hiring a team? How do I go change my business model to one that kind of frees up more time for me? So as those examples kind of suggest, it's really based on what your personal business goals are are what your purpose is and the direction that you want to be taking it in so perhaps maybe you want to buy a house so you really want to be up leveling your income or maybe you actually your value is time and you've got a young family and you want to work out ways to take your business to the next stage that means that you have to be less present in it so really work out what is the next stage specifically for you where is it that you want to take it from what's the difference between where you are now and where you want to be and work out what those stages are for you and then it's really a case of creating the thing that will get you there so for example if you're a a service business and perhaps you've had a really one-to-one model but you want to free up some time and increase your income then perhaps working to towards a one-to-many model is going to be the thing that's going to get you there so work out what that's going to actually look like and what the value is going to be to the person consuming it similarly for a product-based business it's looking at right here's how I've been making my products so far I want to increase my profit margin so how do I need to change this product what new product do I need to introduce even that's going to help me get those margins to where I want to be And then it's really kind of working out the stepping stones to that point. 
So do you need to start transitioning your content? Is it going to be that much of a business model change that you need to shift what you're known for? Do you need to do some extra audience research because you're kind of shifting who the target customer is for what you're doing? Perhaps you now need to do some audience building because you've been working one-to-one and you only needed a very small email list but now you want to be selling courses you actually need to generate more people on that list more people to sell to so looking at what those steps are that are going to get you to your specific next stage and then also just accepting that change is messy and this is something that we forget and it's not going to all happen overnight but you have to kind of set your deadlines know where you want to be and when But then accept that middle period is going to be a lot of learning, a lot of failing fast, but kind of accepting that and not giving up at the first hurdle because that change, that transition is going to be boggy and it's going to be messy, but that doesn't mean it's not going to be worth it. And so you have to trust that the milestones that you've put in place, the measures that you're doing are going to get you to the point that you want to get to, but it's just not going to happen overnight. And that's absolutely fine. So that's all my questions for now. Thank you so much to everybody who submitted one. I hope that you've all found them useful and let me know if you'd like another Q&A episode sometime in the future because I always get lots of questions and don't always know the best place to answer them. So you can share this episode as always. Just take a picture of where you are listening and put it on stories and tag me at Simple and Season. It's also really, really useful if you can leave a rating and a review there in your podcast app as that really helps people to find us all through the world. And as always as well, if you have somebody who you think would really benefit from listening to this episode or any of the episodes, do send them across to them because I always find new podcasts from people sending them to me. And other than that, until next time, I hope you grow a soul.